Well, it's good to see you. I'm Petey. I'm the senior pastor here. If we've not met, would love to meet you after the service. I, I do want to just take a moment and say I'm, I'm so sorry if you thought you'd be running a marathon or a 10 mile this morning and you've, you, know, you didn't get to. If you trained for it, I just want to say, you know, in solidarity with you, I hit snooze this morning and didn't run either. So <laughs> if you're not aware, the, the Twin Cities Marathon and 10 mile was canceled at about 530 this morning was decided that it was canceled. So a uh, big disappointment for a lot of people, but grateful uh, for, for you that we get to worship together to celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And uh, I want to take a moment and introduce you to a special guest we have. Uh, Camilo Garcia is with us. Camilo, would you stand? Camilo works for Opportunity International, one of our mission partners in Colombia. If you guys would help me just thank Camilo for being here today. Um, Camilo will be hanging around after the service. would love to meet you. Stop by, say hello, ask him about the work that they do in Colombia. We've been partners with OI for like 30 years, and Camilo is uh, vice president for partnerships in Latin America, but he lives in Bogota, and he was with us in Colombia a few weeks ago when we were there uh, in Cartagena uh, checking out the work that OI does there. If you'll remember, uh, some of you that were here back in uh, Easter, we took up an offering to, to give to Opportunities Work in Colombia with what they were rolling out called the graduation model. And the graduation model, uh, a bit confusing, not like graduation in an academic or uh, school sense, but graduation like graduation out of poverty. And so we got to see some of the work firsthand, and it was such a joy to see. You'll meet Camilo. Uh, Camilo is incredibly like mild-mannered and chill and really easygoing. And then he would get with the clients uh, on the ground in the graduation model, and he would give these really fiery like pep talks to them. And we were like, oh my goodness. Like, and I, I don't speak Spanish, so I got like none of it, but... Um, um, but it was so passionate. And then those who did speak Spanish were like, yeah, you, you, what he was saying was so inspiring and so encouraging. Um, and because like, oh, I really believes that this model, which is, which is not about just one thing, but about sort of a wraparound of their lives is helping people move out of some of the worst poverty imaginable into opportunities for their life. And what I love about the graduation model is it really is holistic. It's not just about economics or work or, or family or community or faith. It's about all of the things working together to help a person um, to grow and to change and to graduate out of poverty. And, and what we believe actually about faith is the same thing. That faith is not about what happens just on a Sunday in a sanctuary. It's not about just the thing that happens in your, your Bible study. Um, but that, that faith is uh, an everyday, everywhere, everything uh, part of our lives. It is, impacts work and play and school and, and family and marriages and relationships. And it impacts everything. Right? We believe that the gospel is moving everywhere we go. And so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, what we've been called practices of openness, shared practices of openness that are, are meant to help us as a church uh, commit to being people that are open to what God is doing, that we're following God's lead in our church. And we've talked about reflection and relationship and invitation. And today is the final week we're talking about integration. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons um, because I think it's, they're setting a foundation for where we're headed as a church and what we want to see people doing in their faith. Um, but what, what I'm aware of is that integration may not be a familiar word for many of us. Like reflection, relationship, invitation, we get those words. Integration might be a slightly uh, different type of word. And so uh, if you're asking what is integration, what do we mean by that? We just mean that your faith matters wherever you go. 
that we desire to help you integrate your faith into all the spaces where God takes you throughout the course of your week. On Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and beyond, that we desire for your faith to be integrated into your whole life. And and this is different from maybe what a church has traditionally called missions, where we like send people across the world or into other parts of the city to do mission work. It includes that, but it's really a bigger vision that God has us where we are for a reason. And sometimes he sends us places and sometimes he just, uh, sometimes we just, the places that we're going as we're going about our daily lives, we're called to pay attention to what God might want to do with us and through us and in us in those spaces as well. And we as a church want to talk about practices of integration because we believe it matters um, when you're a Christ follower and you find yourselves in all of these spaces. We've been talking about for the last few weeks since September 7th that we want to be a church that's open to how the gospel moves. And, and vision for a church, like a vision like being open to how the gospel moves is, is about expanding our imagination that we can see what more God might have for us. And practices of integration is about seeing what more God might have for us wherever we find ourselves. And so I want you to grab a Bible or grab a few Bible or words will be on the screen, but look up Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah is about in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, about a third of the way through your Bible. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. In the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they had prophets that would speak to them. They were, they were mouthpieces for God to the people. They would share messages from God. And, and what you need to know about Jeremiah 29 is that God's people, the Israelites, some of them were no longer living in Jerusalem. They were no longer living in Judah. They were living instead in this place called Babylon in a foreign land because they had been exiled and taken away and conquered to a foreign land. And so Jeremiah is writing a letter to them. Jeremiah actually is still in Jerusalem he's writing a letter to the exiles, the Jewish people living in Babylon. So we're going to pick up Jeremiah 29, verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So pause right there. So this is a message to those who were from Jerusalem but are now living in Babylon. And and depending on what source you look at, if you're asking how long have they been in exile, the answer is somewhere between 2 and 15 years, which I realize is a long time span, but it's, it's a long time. They've been living in exile in Babylon, but it's what we would consider like a first wave of exile. And so if you can imagine if one nation kind of goes across uh, hundreds of miles and conquers another city and starts to take their people away, they do it in waves and they don't take everybody. And so what's happened is kind of a first wave of Jewish exiles have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And they're sort of what you would consider um, like the top of society, the most, the most uh, affluent, the most educated were taken away first, kind of the the ruling class, um, and that's on purpose, right? You take the ruling class away from a people, then it, the, the assumption is it kind of descends into chaos and they need someone else to swoop in and save the day for them. But they took the ruling class, was over in Babylon, and, and they had become pretty dissatisfied with life, as you can imagine. If you've, uh, if you've endured a forced relocation over hundreds of miles in a pretty brutal way, you would quickly become pretty frustrated, antsy, 
disenchanted with life, um, thinking about rebellion and revolt and, and really uncomfortable, right? You're far from home and you're wondering like, what's going on? When do we get out of here? When will God take us back? And so uh, the, the thing that would happen was these religious leaders among the exiles in Babylon would tell them things like, oh, just hold on, God's coming. Like God's gonna rescue you. You don't have to live here very long. Uh, you don't have to endure this. We're gonna get out of here. And that was a comforting message, as you can imagine. We don't have to stay here long. God's gonna rescue us. But take back up in verse five. Here's what God tells them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He's saying settle in. Get planted. And he gives them an imagination for not just being there for a while, but being there for what? Generations. Because he says, have kids and have your kids get married and let them have kids, right? Like prepare to be here for a long time. This is an unexpected answer. This is not the answer, as you can imagine, God's people would have initially wanted, right? These people were their enemies, they had systematically destroyed their homeland, oppressed their people, and forced them to be relocated humiliatingly across that part of the known world. But it tells us something. It tells us something about how God works and about how God sees the spaces that we might deem lost, broken, secular, unchristian, whatever you want to call them, it says something about the way that God sees those spaces. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper once said that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So we think about Jerusalem. We think about Babylon. We think about Minneapolis. And Christ is crying, mine. This is where I dwell. This is, these are people that I love. And so the exiles that were in Babylon, they, they were longing for home. They wanted to get out of exile. They wanted, they wanted the comfort and the rest, the healing and the peace that would come from leaving Babylon and going home. That was the way that they would find peace and flourishing was to get exile over with. But God says something different. God says, get ready to stay a while. I have a purpose for you right where you are. Get ready to stay a while. I have a purpose for you where you are. And, and just like the Israelites, we may not have, have suffered under forced relocation, but we don't like discomfort. And yet it's the discomfort that God uses them uses in them to help them see the possibilities that, that God is not just moving for them, but God is also moving for the Babylonians. And so maybe God uses the discomfort to tell us, he has us somewhere for a reason that he's opening our eyes to see that he's at work everywhere we go, even in the places where we're not comfortable, that he is working on behalf of others too, that they might see his love and the possibilities. What if God is saying to you, I have you there for a purpose? Integration opens us to join in God's work wherever we find ourselves. Because God wasn't just on the move in Jerusalem. God was on the move in Babylon and he wanted his people to live as if that were true. That they were being encouraged to live with what one author calls a faithful presence. That God had them there so that their presence would matter. So that their obedience to God 
and their love of neighbor might result in his peace and flourishing being spread in the world. Practices of integration are meant to help us imagine how the gospel is at work and that it would open us to new possibilities of how God might be using your faith so that others can flourish and others can experience peace and hope and joy in the world. I love the way that uh, Christian writer Andy Crouch, uh, he asked the question, he says, I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside of our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? I'm afraid so. Why aren't we cultivators, people who tend and nourish what is best in human culture, who do the hard and painstaking work to preserve the best of what people before us have done? Why aren't we known as creators, people who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before, something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful? What if God has them in Babylon to bring peace? to bring welcome, to bring beauty? What if God has us where we are to bring peace, to live in such a way that, that flourishing, that love and grace become tangible for our neighbors wherever we find ourselves? And, and peace can be a very generic word for us, but for the Jewish people, peace was a very specific word. It was the word shalom. And shalom really meant, what would it look like if God was king here? What would the world be like? What would this space be like if God truly reigned unhindered and he wanted his people to bring that shalom that they would live in Babylon as if God reigned in that space too? They weren't trying to make Babylon like Jerusalem. They were trying to show that the God of Jerusalem had power and presence in Babylon as well and that it mattered. That it mattered how they lived and that it mattered for the people of Babylon too. But we have options. We have options presented to us other than integration, and there are options that many of us find ourselves choosing and many Christians find themselves choosing today. I want to point out three options other than integration. The first is just apathy. And people that are apathetic, are, they typically would call themselves a Christian, but most people would not ever know they were a Christian unless they mentioned they went to church every once in a while. Right? They don't live in a distinct way. They don't live in any uniquely Christ-like way. Uh, the, the, their life is busy. Their life's moving too fast. It feels like too tall of a task. And so they just go, I'm just going to enjoy life. I'm going to come to church every once in a while, um, but my faith really will not make a difference in my life. And that happens to some of us sometimes. Another path, and this path has become somewhat popular over the last few years, and in history it kind of ebbs and flows, is the, the, the path of withdrawal. Withdrawal. Sorry, you have to hit my southern accent come out a little bit there. Um, withdrawal. That, that we would retreat into cultural enclaves and Christian bubbles, that we just spend all of our time, we disassociate from the world, we spend all of our time just doing Christian stuff. We spend time with Christian people and at Christian schools, and I'm not knocking Christian schools, I think they have their place and they're important, but we just, we close ourselves into bubbles and we don't want any contact, if we can help it, with any non-Christian parts of our world. We're too worried that that might infect us with something that God can't handle. And what happens is many of us end up living in uh, Christian bubbles. We withdraw from society because, because we have too small of a vision of what God can do. We're worried that if, if we get too close to those people who don't believe or think or act like us, that we might be staying and that God can't handle it. 
But I love uh, theologian, uh, Anglican theologian N.T. Wright said that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That's what God's desire is, to colonize earth with the life of heaven, to show Babylon that Jerusalem is better, that the, that the ways of God are better, but not to try to make every space Christian and safe for us, but to make every space a space where God might be doing something and we can pay attention. And because a posture of withdrawal often involves a fair amount of standing from a distance and judging without any grace or joy or peace involved in the process. The third posture that some of us can take is just assimilation. And assimilation is different than integration because assimilation is just, well, anything goes. I want to follow Jesus and I want to do whatever I want to that the world offers. That I can just, I can just try to be and stay up with everyone else around me and I can try to follow Jesus at the same time. There's, the problem with this is that there's no discernment about what Jesus is calling us to. It's just, we're going to do whatever the culture says is best. We're just going to follow. Uh, we're going to let culture take the wheel of our lives. And, and I know many of us can get caught up in that where we want to follow Jesus, but we also want to enjoy all the things of life. We want to fit in. We want to be cool. We, want to, uh, we don't want to be embarrassed or, or, or miss out on anything. And, and once you start letting the world have a hold of you, though, it's, it's tempting just to assimilate into it. And all three of these, all three of these postures that aren't integration are related to what Pastor Eugene Peterson once called a two gospel uh, Christianity. And by two gospels, he means that on Sunday, we gather together and we say that, that God is good, that the gospel is real, that the gospel has a power to change our lives. That, and we've been trying to preach this to you over and over. That the gospel is a living power. It's the good news of Jesus' sacrificial love that changes everything. We really do believe it has power to change our lives. But that we gather together on Sunday and we say, yeah, that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the way to a good life. But then for the rest of the week, we live as if we are in control of the way to a good life, that it's really all on our shoulders. And regardless of how you get to the second gospel, whether it's through assimilation or withdrawal or apathy, however you end up finding yourselves putting it all on your shoulders, again, we say that God is in control and he's good, but really we need to be good enough for ourselves. Uh, however you find yourselves there, what happens is we end up bearing that weight and it's really about our power and our presence, our abilities and our, uh, our goodness that leads to a good life. And the reason practices of integration are so important is that they, they help us see our lives as spaces of anticipating God's power and presence wherever we live, work, and play, wherever we spend our time. The sacrifice of Jesus, the good news of Jesus means that we get the transformative power of God everywhere we go. He's always changing us. He's always forming us and stretching us and growing us. It'll be imperfect. It'll be a bumpy ride. That's okay. And then we also get his presence everywhere we go. That it's not about doing better or trying harder, but believing that the gospel has redemptive power. And we want to open ourselves to that everywhere we go every day. So if you're wondering, how do I practice integration? The answer is, think long-term, but intentionally seek peace in daily spaces. 
And that might not feel very concrete, but, but as we talk about the, a vision of a church that's open to how the gospel moves, that's not just about like, here's some stuff we're gonna do. It's about a mindset change. And integration truly is about a mindset change. It's about a shift. And what we know about shifts in our lives is they happen over time intentionally. We wanna think long-term see the way that God is moving and trust that he's out ahead of us, that God is doing something more than we can see or imagine, and then live every day with the opportunities presented to us to bring peace into the spaces where we find ourselves. I mean, ask yourself the question, what would it be like for me to desire the flourishing of this space, to want these people to know God's shalom, his peace and his joy and his hope? Fill in the blank. Because the gospel moves everywhere, I trust flourishing is possible. I trust shalom is possible. I trust peace is possible. Where? In my family, in my marriage, in my classroom, in the boardroom, in the community I live in, on this sports team, in downtown Minneapolis. When I'm in the car at rush hour at 8.30 a.m., what does it look like to believe that flourishing is possible? What if God has you right where you are for a reason? What if God has you where you are for a reason? And what would it look like to take daily actions to believe that God is up to something and he has you there on purpose? Five or six years ago, we had, we had just uh, been in town for a little bit and um, we're kind of still getting used to this like lake culture, lake life stuff. And someone invited us to go on a, on a sailboat uh, in Manitonka, my wife Ashley and I, they invited us to go out with them and some other couples. And so I'm like, man, I've never been sailing in my life. I'm really excited about this. I can just imagine like, like the, you know, the boat tipping over and like pulling on a rope and harnessing the sails. It's going to be a fantastic time. And so we get to this uh, yacht club on Minnetonka and we, we get onto this boat and uh, we, we kind of go out into the I don't know, a little harbor, a little you know, watery cul-de-sac, uh, the bay. We got into the bay. <laughs> Lake life, right? And we've gone, you know, you know, we've just gone a little bit. We haven't even left the little bay. And uh, the guy who's leading, he, the guy who's organizing this, he pulls out an anchor and just drops it. And then we just have wine and cheese for like three hours. <laughs> and then we, then we go back to the, we go back to the dock. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is sailing. Okay, this is cool. <laughs> I could get used to this, I think. I wonder what else is possible. And I wonder what excuses would stand in the way of going out. Maybe the water's choppy. Maybe we don't really know what we're doing. Maybe we're not prepared. Maybe you might be overwhelmed by it. And then, and then we would settle for what's comfortable, what's easy, just to sit there to enjoy some wine and cheese. It was a good time. It was a great time. It wasn't sailing, but it was a great time. And I wonder how many of our faith gets out into the harbor and we just drop anchor and we do what's comfortable and easy. And we settle for less than what God might do. We settle for less than what's possible if we go out into the choppy seas. We settle for less than what's possible if we do something that we don't quite know what we're doing, but we want to be stretched. We settle for what's less than what's possible when we let God have control over our lives. When we step out beyond what's capable and our own strength, and we open our hands to what God has. This vision, open to how the gospel moves, 
we've left, we've left the dock. Let's not get stuck in the harbor. Let's not get stuck in the bay. Let's go out. Let's, let's put this into action. Let's be people who are open to how the gospel moves everywhere we go, that we practice integration, that we believe that God is doing something in us, through us, with us, everywhere we go. Amen.